Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're asking doctors about optimizing our metabolic health, sitting down with money experts to get real about our financial anxieties, or learning how to literally become smarter. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. This week, I am joined by my friend, Ali Webb. Ali is the co-founder of Drybar, which famously sold for $255 million. Since then, the serial entrepreneur has also served as the co-founder of Squeeze, Brightside, and Beckett & Quill, and the president of Canopy. Ali has been on the cover of Inc. Magazine's How I Did This Issue, named one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company, featured on Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40 list, Marie Claire's Most Fascinating Women list, and Inc. Magazine recognized her as one of the 100 women building America's most innovative and ambitious businesses. She was also a shark on Shark Tank. She is already a New York Times bestselling author, and her newest book, The Messy Truth, How I Sold My Business for Millions But Almost Lost Myself, just came out yesterday, and it is so inspiring, so definitely get your hands on a copy. This episode is all about using your authenticity as an asset, not a detriment, in everything from your work life to your personal life. We get into the trick to knowing if a business idea is worth pursuing, practices for reconnecting with your authentic self, the genius secret for being less afraid of taking risks, plus knowing exactly what risks are worth taking, what to do when your life doesn't fit with society's timelines, the best networking secrets, concrete tools for feeling better during hard times, how to overcome imposter syndrome, what Allie learned about relationships from her two divorces, and so much more. As always, we would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, so definitely screenshot and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and Allie is at Allie Webb. We are so inundated with messages about how everything is over after your mid-20s and your life is set in stone. And Ali is living proof that it is never too late to not only start over, but to absolutely love that journey. If at any point in the episode, Ali's wisdom is resonating with you, send a link to a friend or family member so it can help them too. Speaking of friends and family... I cannot believe it, but we are getting so close to the holidays. When did that happen? My book, 100 Ways to Change Your Life, makes the perfect gift for so many people in your life. Moms I've heard from especially love it because it is so easy to read in those little in-between moments of the very busy mom life. And people with crazy work schedules actually love it for the very same reason. College students, 20-somethings who are figuring it out, love it. People in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s looking for a little spark, a little reboot. They love it. This book has so much in it for absolutely everybody. As a little holiday bonus, I'm also going to send signed book plates. That is a sticker that you put inside the book so that you have a signed copy to anyone who orders the book from anywhere just during this holiday season so you can give a custom special gift. Just send your receipt, the name of the person you want the book plate addressed to, and anything special that you want it to say to promo, P-R-O-M-O, at lizmoody.com. 
Okay, I hope you love this episode. Let's get right into it with Allie Webb. Allie, I'm so excited to be here with you today. I just finished your beautiful book and I absolutely loved it. I feel like the core thesis of the book is that you can be completely yourself and that can be an asset in your life, in your relationships, in your business. And I think that's a beautiful thesis that we're not hearing from a lot of successful people. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about life. But I'd love to start with business. So you obviously founded Drybar. You're also involved with Canopy. You're involved with Beckett and Quill. You have all of these other businesses that you have your hands in. I'm curious. I feel like I have all these company ideas in my head. But by the time I actually get to the ability to execute them, another company could have done it or somebody else could have come out with the same idea. So how do we know when an idea is worth pursuing? Most markets are saturated. It's pretty hard to come up with something that's like a completely new invention, like the iPhone. It's pretty tough to come up with something like that. However, it's not as tough to do it better than what everybody else is doing. And therein lies our MO. When you look at Drybar and now at Squeeze, which is our second biggest brand that will probably outperform Drybar because it's men and women, where Drybar was mostly women. We took something that was already largely in the world and in the marketplace, massages, and created a much better experience from top to bottom. There's an app, and while you're in town, maybe you can go. It's an app that we completely designed. So it's so customizable. You put in all your preferences on the app from like oil or lotion, the parts of your body, like everything you could imagine that you'd have a conversation with a therapist about, you do before you get in there on the app. It's the same founding team as Drybar, same architect, Cam, my ex-husband, did all the design. So it's a pretty special brand. And if you go and look at all the Yelp reviews, they're all five stars, which is also unheard of and certainly didn't happen in the Drybar era. But blowouts had long existed before Drybar, but we created a much better price point experience all the way around. And we've done the same thing with Squeeze, which is a massage concept. And the same thing with Brightside Infrared Yoga. It's like there's a lot of hot yoga studios, but it's not really many infrared yoga studios, which is a much better way and just the whole experience. So to answer your question, I think that if you're looking to start a business is looking around and seeing there might be a concept that you love or something that you just wish existed. I really believe most if not all businesses, stem from personal necessity. It's like that thing that you, Liz, might love, but you're like, God, they just don't do it that well. And I love going to this place for X, but the execution is not great. And I wish this was different. I wish this was better. Like I have several of those that I could rattle off, which I won't, but there's a few places that I go for certain things that I really love going for that thing, but like the execution is bad. Like the operations bugs me, the decor bugs me. I'm thinking of one specific place, which again, I won't say, but I'm like, this could be so much better. If it was 10 years ago, maybe I would go and build it because I know it's successful despite that it's not great. You know, and that's the thing, especially with massage. I mean, There is no shortage of places to get massages and there's tons of discount chains and there's tons of high-end spots. But what there's not is I think what we've created in Squeeze, which is this very customizable experience that has all these bells and whistles that nobody else has. So we looked at this business model and we're like, okay, what's this lacking? We don't like it. We were in the same camp of like, it sucks to book it's clunky. I have to wait when I'm done. All the things we didn't like. And we're like, well, why don't we just create a new one that doesn't have all the shit that we don't like about the current one? And therein lies how you know, I believe, if something's going to work or not. And it's got to be significant because most businesses don't make it really, sadly. But if you look around at most businesses, 
not all, but a lot of them are lacking, whether it's lacking customer service, lacking decor, lacking operations, lacking branding. You can go on and on because I believe humbly that for a business to make it, and this is just learning through my experience in building Drybar, we had all those boxes checked from branding to customer service to delivering a really solid product to the way we treated our staff, the way the shops were set up. I could give you a laundry list of all the things that I believe made us successful. But it's because somebody was thinking of all of these things, iPhone charger stations, champagne. I mean, you name it. There's a million reasons Drybar worked. And I think so many businesses or entrepreneurs skimp, sadly, on a lot of things. And so you end up in this like, um, that didn't really work. Why didn't it work? That's it's usually why. It's an interesting line because also I think a lot of entrepreneurs stop themselves from putting their business out in the world because they're so focused on all of these details and they're so focused on trying to make every single little thing perfect. So it's an interesting balance. I'm curious your take on getting something out there and iterating from there versus trying to hit all these little details. One of my favorite sayings is don't let perfect get in the way of progress. I don't think these things need to be perfect. It's like whack-a-mole. That is how I think of business. I mean, someone actually bought us a whack-a-mole game. We had it in our office because you're always going to be trying to get something better. But I don't think that that should stand in the way of trying to get to as many of those things as possible. And prioritizing what's the most important. Of course, the hundreds of details are just rattled off or a couple of them that I just rattled off. They weren't all perfect. We didn't do it all perfectly ever. We came as close as we could, but there are foundational things that are really important, which I would say are like the customer service, the branding, the execution, the community connection. I mean, there's a lot of things and it's different for everybody. And we were able to get enough of those boxes checked to become a love brand, which we did. I think that's really what you have to figure out if you're in the early throes of thinking about starting a business is what is better and different and unique about this idea, concept, whatever product that I have that is going to be a standout. Your brother fronted $250,000 for Drybar, yes. and then you and your ex-husband put in $50,000. And you write, it was an exhilarating and horrifying feeling to watch your bank account go from nest egg to zero for a big personal investment, but we knew it was right. You write that you weren't afraid of risk. And I... I'm curious, for somebody who's listening and they wanted to fear risk less, could you share some advice? Yeah, I just wasn't afraid of losing it all. And how? <laughs> it's so scary. Because I'm a capable, intelligent person. And if this didn't work, I would go do something else. At the time, Cam, my ex-husband, had a job and that was like how we lived. So yes, we were putting our savings, which wasn't in retrospect all that much and it was a nest egg, but nothing like that was going to like sustain us. So it was the weighing of, do we go for it on this thing that we think will make it? Or do we have the scarcity mindset and hold on to that money? I'm a big dreamer. Like I'm going to go for it. And again, if it didn't work, which there was a good chance it wouldn't, we were going to lose that money and start again. And money had, wasn't the driver for me. It wasn't like that amount of money was like going to make or break our lives. 50 grand is relative and it's like a lot of money to some people, not a lot of money to other people. But to me, it was worth the risk to shoot for the moon. And when I even say shoot for the moon, it was like it was worth the risk to like start this brand and hope it was moderately successful and in turn would pay me like a decent salary and provide me with a daily life that I enjoyed. And that was really it in the beginning. And I guess that the fact that I've never been 
super driven by money, which might sound weird because I, I really like having money and the things that I like to do, but it didn't drive me in this scenario in dry bar. The driver for me was doing something I really wanted to do and love. I always went back to like, if this doesn't work, you know, Cam will get another job in advertising and I'll figure something else out. And I think that there is a difference between somebody who's cool with that and somebody who's like, no fucking way, I'm not risking it. And I think that that is just like a genetic makeup thing. My parents were entrepreneurs and I watched my parents have really successful times and really not successful times and the highs and lows. But I still think it's like kind of in my blood to be like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, I'll figure something else out. I think that it's a genetic makeup thing. But I also think that what you said, like, I know that I am a strong, smart, capable person. I think that can be built. And that's where you're turning your attention. So if you're asking yourself the question, how can I become more comfortable with risk? Why am I so scared of this thing? Instead of working maybe on that problem, maybe it's how do I build belief in my own resilience? How do I focus on the qualities that will make me okay regardless of what happens instead of needing to seek out the assurance that whatever I'm doing will work out? A hundred percent. I love that framing because it is true. I mean, most things don't completely work out. (laughs) Most things are like a struggle. And then we see at the end of the line, like, oh, wait, that was really great, even though that really sucked in the moment. And I I think you're right, like focusing on what if it does work instead of shit, what am I going to do if it doesn't work like all day long? Maybe I couldn't have articulated it then, but that's probably just how I am as a human. I'm definitely half glass full kind of girl versus like, oh shit, what if it doesn't work? I'm much more like, oh, I'm going to go take that leap and then figure out, ask questions later. I mean, that's again, part of just my personality, which has gotten me into trouble plenty. But in business, I think it's really like, let's just go and figure it out later, which is why I love don't let perfect stand in the way of progress. Because if you allow yourself to be so worried about what's going to go wrong and what's not going to work instead of like, let's just put this out there and tweak it as we go. Do you have any advice for knowing what risks are worth taking? I think that it's that gut feeling that you have about something and the people around you that you trust and admire the most. Even when I was starting to talk to women about building dry bar, because of the women who were in my straight at home business, the women I was seeing, I started slowly dropping hints that I was like, well, I'm thinking about turning this mobile thing into a brick and mortar. And they would be like, oh my God, that's the best idea ever. That was usually the response. And I think that that gave me some confidence coupled with the fact that in my gut, as relatively like intuitive, smart person, I was like, wait a second, looking around at the climate, I'm like, there's nothing like dry bar. There's no place for women to go for an affordable blowout. There's the discount chains that are all around and the experience kind of sucks and the booking is bad. And there's like a laundry list of things that just aren't great. I felt really confidently that if we opened one location, that it would probably work. World domination, definitely was not thinking about that. But I really felt strongly that if we were to open one location, it would probably work. And again, again, if it doesn't, we're going to be okay. To answer your question, there's not one answer. I think it's a combination of looking around at the environment, the landscape. And in retrospect, it's very easy to see when you discover a business and you're like, oh man, that's such a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? But somebody did think of it and somebody was like, I'm going to put it all on the line and see if this thing works. There's just so many factors, right? That play into what becomes successful and what doesn't. I don't think there's a formula. Some of it is the luck of the draw. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of risk. 
But you've also taken risk in your personal life. Like you have now been divorced twice. Yes. I think that that's a huge risk. And you talk about in the book feeling like those options weren't available to you. You had your great life, blowing it all up just felt inconceivable. So how do you get your head around that type of risk? It was a tougher risk for me. I stayed in my first marriage of 16 years for longer than I should have, for sure. I didn't have that risk tolerance in my marriage as I do in my professional life. Note to self, which is why like the need for growth and looking inward was really needed. And I had never done that in my life. We'd been to therapy, but I was always moving so fast and doing so many things that I never took the time to really do the inner work. I don't know if we talked about this offline, but I obviously love, like everybody else, Brene Brown. And I saw something recently where she was talking about how usually like the middle of your life, like the universe kind of taps you on the shoulder and they're in like gigs up, can't run anymore, you know? And I think I got that tap on my shoulder from the universe probably like five-ish years ago, five, six years ago. Like, what are you doing? You can't live the rest of your life like this. It just hit me. And I do feel like the universe conspired it like shoved me into this, like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? You're not happy. You don't have endless time. And I was desperate for love and that kind of connection that I didn't have with my first husband. I loved him and he was my best friend and we are great friends now. But I knew in my heart of hearts, deep down, that there was a greater love available to me that I was sacrificing. And I think there was a bit of a conspiracy from the universe to get me to be like, okay, it's time. When I finally made that decision to try and move on to something and look for something else, it took me way longer than it took me to decide to start a business. Matters of the heart, I guess, are more challenging for me to navigate than starting a business. How do you deal with not feeling like you're on what society's expected timeline is, or you're not following society's expected path in this relationship scheme of your life? For me, it was so hard. I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want to be a divorced person. Like I wanted to be like the poster child for like, oh, and my co-founder and I built this amazing company and we have these amazing boys and our life's so perfect. I wanted that fairy tale. And then I realized that fairy tale is bullshit. I did have this facade especially becoming a little bit public and building this business and being out in the world talking about my relationship with my husband then and my brother and my kids and looked like this perfect thing. And it wasn't. And I didn't want to break the facade that I guess society put on me that to have this perfect marriage. And it just wasn't true to come out and say that like, oh yeah, I made some decisions that weren't the right ones. And it's funny looking back because I know that's how I felt. I just don't feel that way anymore. So it's even weird to talk about it because I feel like it was so the right decision for me. And I think there is a society norm that looks down negatively on divorce. Even now, having gone through a second divorce, which is like, oh my God, are you kidding me? I didn't want to fucking go through a first one. And here I am in number two. I really was like, oh my God. No one's going to want to date me. I'm a divorced twice 48-year-old woman with two kids. Like on paper, I feel like it doesn't look very good, but it's not the reality. You know, the reality is like I'm just a person living my life. 
I absolutely love a low-lift daily habit that has a big payoff over time. It's why I am always asking podcast guests for little hacks and tips that we can all do easily to live a better life without sacrificing a ton of time or energy. And that's why I love AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I know there are a lot of people who wonder if AG1 is overhyped because so many people talk about it, but in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day, no matter how the rest of the day goes, especially for gut health and immune support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. You can also mix it into juice or a smoothie, but I genuinely love the taste, so I go with water. And boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in from that one-minute habit in your day. I'm always trying to eat veggie-packed, nutritionally dense meals, but I am not perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, or superfoods, and adaptogens to cover the bases. I love how it gives me some gentle energy right after I drink it without any jitter so it doesn't stoke my anxiety like caffeine. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it is not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary to name just a few. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything, and they are third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a one-year supply of their amazing vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. I am so, so excited to share this brand with you. I started trying Osmia because Zach and I were nomading in Carbondale and everyone was like, oh, the founder of Osmia lives there. You should hang out with her. So I DM'd her and we hung out and I was blown away by how brilliant she was and how absolutely incredible her products were. After a decade in emergency medicine, Dr. Sarah Villafranco founded Osmia to help people discover healthier, happier skin. Sound familiar? Without the use of parabens, phthalates, petrochemicals, sulfates, ethoxylates, synthetic fragrance, or artificial colors. But the products do not sacrifice at all when it comes to efficacy. Sarah's utilizing a deep understanding of science and of the whole health of our body, like how our skin interacts with our gut and our hormones to create the most beautiful and lovely to use products. I'm going to call out a few of my favorites. I told Sarah that my skin was so dry in the Colorado climate and I needed help, and she introduced me to two products that have become my absolute heroes. The Lip Repair Overnight Mask is literally exactly like the viral Laneige Lip Sleeping Mask, but with way better ingredients, which is so important because you are literally eating it all night. It completely healed my dry, cracked lips, and it made them buttery soft, and I just cannot recommend it enough. Then, the Nectar Nourishing Drops are like magic in a bottle and a total favorite. Oils can be hard to penetrate skin on their own, but the secret with these is that you mix them into a moisturizer. You can use any moisturizer, but I love the Osmia Purely Simple Face Cream, and then it turns that moisturizer into the most luxurious, super-powered hydrator in the world. It's calming. It's so moisturizing. I've just never had my skin feel like this. And because you only use a few drops each time, it lasts forever. 
Sarah is also famous for creating products that help with perioral dermatitis or when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. So I highly recommend checking out that area of her site. If you deal with those, you can search by skin type. And then finally, I want to shout out the bar soap, which is her first product and what she got famous for. Besides being eco-friendly because you're skipping all the packaging, the ingredients in these soaps are amazing. They make your skin feel so good and they smell so good. My two favorites are Coffee Mint, which is part of their core soap collection, and Amber Sun, which is a seasonal soap. They have a seasonal collection called the Craft Series in the featured section of the website, and they release super special soaps, body oils, and body mousses for every season, so definitely check those out. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. You need to try the lip repair mask. Trust me. So add that to your cart right away. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Is there anything that you had to tell yourself to remove that element of shame from your story or was it outside reactions that helped you do that? I think it was both. I had a lot of really good support systems around me that were like, it doesn't matter if you're divorced once or twice or three times. I don't know if you know who Rabbi Leader is. He's a rabbi at Wilshire Temple here in LA and he's become a dear friend of mine. He wrote a book called The Beauty of What Remains. It's a beautiful book about loss. Anybody who's experienced any kind of loss, it's a really beautiful book. And he is just an amazing man. I've leaned on him and called him when I've experienced loss, like death. And then when I was experiencing this loss of a marriage, he's like, Allie, I've married people who are on their third, fourth marriages. Not that we want that, but it's okay. Like you're living your life. And my best friend also like went through many relationships, you know, and living her best life. And it's like, I think I let go of this unrealistic life expectation that like, oh, you have to be married and have the kids and have the house and da, da, da. That was what I thought was success. And now I don't think that anymore. I really embrace that like, this is just what my life looks like and finding my own way and my own path. And I feel like I'm happier now than I've been in a long time. So that whole marriage that I was trying to make work that wasn't aligned, that I was too afraid to let go of because of all of this, I'm grateful that it happened. I'm grateful that I let go of it. And I'm really grateful for where my life is now and the work that it like thrust me into in myself that I never would have done otherwise. It feels so simplistic to say it, but at the end of the day, it is like, would you rather live your life for other people to perceive it a certain way or would you rather live your life for you to feel a certain way in it? Amen to that. Live the most authentic life you can while you can. My advice to people is always follow your gut, follow your instincts. I'm not saying don't work on your marriage or don't work on something if it's fixable by all means, but don't spend too much time in that conundrum of like, oh, it's what people think. Fuck that. Go live your life the way you want to live it. And that's also true of like, if you're in a really unhappy job right now and you're sitting and you're listening to this and you're like, I fucking hate my job. I dread getting up in the morning. Like, ugh, change that. Even if your parents or your husband or your whomever is so proud of you for this thing that you're doing and you know, deep down in the back of your mind, like this is not making me happy. Change it. Life's too short. Another thing that prevents people from making those types of changes, though, is that 
the thing that we're in feels known. It's comfortable. We know what it is. And even if the alternative could be better, it is unknown. So it could also be worse. Nobody likes uncertainty. I don't like it either. It's scary as shit. But it's also where like the gold is. I've read this places before that how close anxiety and excitement are. And I've really tried to reframe when I have anxiety. Like, yes, excitement and anxiety are like two sides of the same coin that you can view your anxiety as excitement and think, oh, I'm just excited about what's coming next. I've come to love the excitement of what's around the corner. I can't wait to see. My life has been terrible and exciting and amazing and exhilarating and shitty all at the same time. But I've come to love the not knowing and the uncertainty. And I know for me, a big part of the work that I do and need to do on myself is sitting and being uncomfortable. And uncertainty is really uncomfortable. But it's pretty amazing when you're like feeling uncomfortable about something and you can just ride it out versus being reactive to it, which is generally what I've done in my life. All of my life is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not sitting here get me out of here versus right now I'm in this place where like, I'm uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm just going to stay and like work it through and use the tools that I've learned. It feels easy when you're not in the actual moment, but even when I'm in the moment where it does feel to me like being stuck in like a very small closet, you cannot get your way out of and you're like, fuck, I want to get out of this so bad, but I can't. And so what can I do in that moment? And for me, it's putting on like a meditation, going for a walk, taking deep breaths, calling my best friend. I have those tools in my arsenal now that I did not have probably even six months ago. You mentioned that all of these experiences have forced you to do work on yourself that you would have never otherwise done. I'm curious what that work has looked like and what the results of that work have been. The work that I've done is going inward and deeper to things that I didn't understand about myself. I think that it's becoming more mainstream that people are recognizing that the things that happened to us in our childhood, and it doesn't have to be a massive trauma, but just the way our childhoods played out. Our parents are human, even if you had the best parents in the world. And I had really great parents. But looking back, my mom passed away seven years ago. But even just talking to my father about some of the things that I didn't really understand about my childhood, things I didn't know about myself and working with different therapists. And I now know because I really dug into like, why did I act the way I acted in my marriages? What the fuck are these patterns? Like, why do I do this? I got really curious about myself, which I didn't do for 48 years. I got curious about why do I act this way? I can go really cold and get cut off and closed off and be a big brat. And I have a handful of things that I do when things get rocky. Why? Why? I never ask the question, why do I do that? I'm like, oh, this is just me, which I think a lot of people do. Like, this is just who I am. This is not who you are. This is your conditioning. These are your patterns. And I think I used to be the person that would like kind of roll their eyes at, oh yeah, you're looking back at your childhood. It doesn't matter. Look forward. It doesn't matter. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not stuck in that stuff, but it is worth looking at just to figure out why I act the way I act in certain situations. And I've done a deep dive. And I think the result is if you can name it, you can tame it. If you have awareness about why you act the way you act, it goes a long way in helping you not act that way and being able to very quickly recognize why you're reacting to something, why you're acting or treating someone a certain way. For me, that's been the biggest result of all of the work that I've done is like, 
I notice when I'm doing something that I used to do. So I'm able to like make a decision in that moment if I'm going to be the better version of myself or I'm going to revert to how I used to be. And practicing that now in new relationships, relationships with my kids, relationship with my friends. My best friend who I mentioned, we've been best friends for almost 19 years. And it's a relationship like any other relationship. And we have the same fights that like you have with a romantic relationship too, where it's like, you're not giving me enough, enough attention. Why didn't you invite me to that thing? And why aren't you doing it? We've both done so much work. And I always say I've ridden her spiritual coattails because she started doing this work a long time ago after her second divorce. You know, I was like, what's going on? Where's my accountability in this? And then I realized I needed to do that too. And you learn through those things and just become a much better, healthier version of yourself. And it's really amazing and illuminating and awesome. Is there anything that you learned from your first divorce that's impacting how you are approaching your second divorce? And is there anything that you've learned from both of those relationships that's impacting how you approach relationships and dating now? Well, that was a big question. Well, I know that I didn't do the work that I'm doing now after my first marriage, my first divorce, because I was in such a different place and I was out looking for other things that when I first came out of that divorce, my son Grant, his life kind of unraveled and he went into rehab. And so there was other things that I was focused on. And I think I was still running in circles from the work I needed to do on myself, which I learned after the second divorce that I'm like, oh, right. You went deep, but not deep enough. And I think that was the big difference because I was distracted with so many other things and it was such a life change. My role in dry bar was changing. My son was going into rehab. I was trying to navigate this divorce. So those were the big things that I was trying to just stay afloat on. Whereas this time in a much more different place, my kids are stable and they're good and I'm not in dry bar anymore. So now I was like, okay, now it's your turn to like go and look more inward. And yeah, I've learned a lot about how I deal in relationships. And that's been the big discovery for me in this phase of my life is learning some of my patterns and habits and learning how I'm going to be in the next relationship and how I'm going to be in all my relationships. My boys have said to me, you're a lot different now. One of the big things was that I would get upset really easily and I would complain about a lot of things. And like, and I've really made it a real like commitment to be calmer when I feel myself getting upset. You get that fire in your belly and you're so mad. Recognizing that that's there, but keeping myself in check and having some self-mastery over my emotions, which I never had before. I was always so reactive and reactionary. And now I'm like, nope, we're not going to react. I'm going to calm down or I'm going to walk away or I'm going to say I need a minute and go chill out and then come back to the situation. Just lots of things like that that will serve me in all of the relationships in my life. Are there any other micro tools like that? Like you said, I'm going to walk away or I'm going to feel this feeling and acknowledge that it's there, but I don't need to do something with that feeling. Are there any other micro tools for navigating your emotions, navigating your relationships that you've picked up along the way that have been really helpful? Yeah, I get almost like an alert <laughs> when I'm in that place of like, I want to be mad and upset to be like, okay, what's happening? Asking myself questions like, why are you acting this way? And what is this about? Where is this coming from? Those are not questions I asked myself before. I would just react. And also recognizing the importance of taking a breath. There's like breath work that you can do that calms down your nervous system. I now know that. I would just like ride the adrenaline of my nervous system and this entitlement of like, I'm upset and you need to know it. Where now I'm like, 
calm down. What's the greater good here? What are you fighting for? That's the big thing. I even got into a conversation and kind of an argument with my 16-year-old son the other night. And I won't go into what it was, but it was more like I was so wanting him to see something my way and he would not. And I was so frustrated until finally I was like, it doesn't matter, Allie. He doesn't have to see it your way. Let him have his own experience. Why do you need control? And what's the control about? The control is about the fear of he was seeing something a way that I didn't like. And I was like, I don't want you out in the world saying things like this and doing things like this because it's not how I want you to be. But I don't get to make that decision. I don't get to be in control of his experience or anybody's experience. And once I like remembered that the light bulb went off, this is not your thing. He's your son and you can tell him what you think and what you feel. And then you you have to let him be his own person because he is and he's going to have his own feelings. And I think that that is so empowering. Every time I remember that, there's only so much I can control. I can only control me and I can't control the world around me and I can't control the people around me. And I have to remember that and that things are going to be the way they're going to be. And I can do everything in my power to make them be the way I want them to be. And beyond that, you can't. Remembering that is like, okay, well, that's what it is. And just being okay with like, that's what it is. You've also dealt with some extreme bouts of depression. Yes. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you began to climb out of those phases? What were the first things that you started to do to feel better? I think that my ambitious nature of like fixing the problem, well, it doesn't go as fast as I would like it to. I'm also a person that's like, I am not going to sit here and do nothing in this space. I wanted a quick fix, which it wasn't, but arguably quicker than maybe some people experience because I was like, I'm going to go do all the things. So that's what I did. I would take advice from anybody who would give it like, what did you experience? What did you do? What worked for you? And that I think is another maybe even superpower of mine is like, I'm very curious when it's something I'm really interested in. I'm ingesting all these books and getting all this information I can get because there's some nuggets in there that I'm like, oh, Yeah, yeah, that works. I like that for me. What I started doing was like inhaling books and going to therapy all the time and trying different types of like therapy, like the somatic work that I've done, going on spiritual retreats. You name it, I've done it. That was part of my version of pulling myself out of the mud. You know, it was like, I got to go do all these things, I guess, that like are going to make me feel better. And in the moment, it wasn't working instantly. I would say like the first three months were fucking brutal. I couldn't get off the floor. I couldn't eat. I was so, so sad. But I had to like fake it to a certain degree, like around my kids. I can't be like a puddle on the floor. I have to show my kids some strength here. But they also knew at the same time that I was really upset. They were upset too. But during that time, I was so grateful for like all the support I had around me. I hired coaches. I hired therapists. I did all the things and it didn't happen right away. But I would say around month four-ish, I started to feel a little better and gradually started to feel better and better. And I think it was all the things I was doing for myself and all the different modalities that I was trying from reflection circles to meditation, to therapy, to books, you name it, I did it. One of my biggest splurges in the dry bar era was buying an infrared sauna and I have an infrared sauna and a cold plunge at my house. I would do those a lot because I read that is a really good mental detox for you. And the hot and cold therapy is really good for your nervous system. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then I started like really getting into neurology, which was really fascinating to me. I was like, okay, I'd like to retrain my mind. Thank you very much. And things like brushing your teeth with your left hand instead of your right, if you're a righty and putting your pants on with your left leg instead of your right. I was like, okay, I will buy into all of this stuff and hope some of it works. And it 
did, you know? And it's crazy to me. I feel like, when did you and I have dinner? Was it like a month ago? Yeah. So I was already like on this new path, but it's crazy to me as I think about where I was six months ago, feeling like I was never going to get off the floor to where I am now, where I feel potentially happier than I've maybe ever been is a fucking trip, you know? And I think it's because I'm so happy with the work that I've done on myself, even physically, like I'm making different like food choices because I know I don't feel good if I eat a certain way. And I wasn't paying attention to that. Everything in my life changed for the better. So two things. One, I loved that you said that you were asking people all these questions, like what worked for you, what worked for you? Because I think the side of that that wasn't explicitly said is that you have to be vulnerable with your pain to ask what worked for other people's pain. And I think that's such a critical part of the healing process that we don't talk about, that you didn't feel shame or embarrassment in saying, this is where I am. Can you help me? What helped you when you were here? So I love that. Second, you tried all these things. And I think it's really wonderful that you were able to. And obviously, it's a privilege that not everybody has. So for people who can't try all of these things, can you single out like one or two that you feel like had an outsized helpful effect? Yeah, you're right. I do have the ability and the resources to access a lot of these things, but they're available in some way, shape or form, really, if you want them. I hired a coach, but this coach does like group coaching calls, which is far less expensive than what I did. There's options like that out there. There's so many different ways to reach therapists. Mostly everybody has access to reading the books. And even if you don't have like an infrared sauna and a cold plunge, take a hot shower and then turn the cold water on. Run the bath cold. Get your ass in the bath cold. You will feel a difference. And I don't know if you've ever done hot cold therapy, but it's pretty amazing how you feel after. It's like a high. It's No, I always so say it's the crazy. closest thing to doing. I don't do cocaine anymore, yeah. obviously, but it's the closest thing that from what I remember of what cocaine was like, it's yeah. the closest thing that feels like that. I mean, I did that too in my 20s. I never thought about it that way, but I definitely, it's a crazy high that you can't explain when you go from that like extreme hot to extreme cold and always end on cold, by the way, for anybody listening. So I think that there are ways to achieve these things without having a lot of money to be able to do it. But if you were to pick like one or two. I would find a really good friend and have a bit of a come to Jesus with her. Like, hey, I'm going to really need some extra support from you, like to be able to text you a lot and like get some support back. I had a group of friends, but I would say like a very small group. And then my best friend Paige, who was really there for me, go find that friend or family member. You actually say to them, not forever, but I know right now I'm going to need a little extra support. Would you be willing to do that for me? And you'll probably get a yes. So I think get that person who's willing to talk to you anytime. There's a lot of therapy available through insurance. I would say get a good therapist. Go as often as you can. Listen to podcasts that are about whatever you're dealing with. So you're constantly like inundating your brain with things that feel familiar and resonate with you. It doesn't cost any money to go to Joe Dispenda's website and read some of his stuff and download a couple of his meditations. Also, a lot of them are free on YouTube, which they're not yeah. supposed to be, but they, yeah. they are. But on Instagram, if you go to Joe Dispenza's page, you will get a plethora of his advice of things to do. All that stuff was really important to me. Journaling. Ed Milet is another one that I love. Like he's got these seven questions. I write down on most days, like these seven things, which is what are you happiest about? What are you most grateful for? What are you committed to? There's like seven questions. I'm like, let me just at least do those every day, you know? And even in my book, there's journal prompts after each chapter. Writing out your feelings is a huge thing because I believe that awareness around your feelings is half the battle. Back to the name it, you can tame it. So I think those are a handful of things that you can do without having to have a lot of resources. 
You know what I love is I was like, pick one or two, and you sort of did that, but you also picked a lot. And I think one of the things the overachiever that, in me. Well, no, no, it's not even the overachiever. I think there's something really interesting about picking a lot because what you're sort of saying is you want to flood your brain with the way that you want to feel. You don't want to just dive in and out of a five-minute meditation no. session and then go about the rest of your day feeling really negative. No. You want to bombard your brain with so many of the thoughts and realities that you want to create for yourself yeah. that it has to go there. I am like a walking like billboard for healing. I also go to church every Sunday, which church is free, you know, and I go here in Mosaic and Erwin McManus is the pastor and he's just phenomenal and all his stuff is on their website for free. I mean, he's a pastor, but it's not God heavy. It's very real life. I don't know how to explain it, but he's fucking brilliant. And there's this other coach that I follow. His name is Todd Herman. And he was like Kobe Bryant's coach. He said to me once, smile as often as you can. Force yourself to smile throughout the day. Just do it as often as you can. There's an actual set amount. I think he said to do it, but he's like, at least do it 30 seconds, three times a day. Just smile. It actually affects your brain chemistry if you're smiling, which I was like, Okay. Again, no, I'll do it that. does. The expressions that you make lead the feelings that you feel. There's really interesting studies on Botox, actually, and people feeling less anger and frustration when they get Botox in their frown lines they don't see because it. they're not making the micro wow. expressions that lead to anger and frustration. Wow. Which is fascinating. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Happiness can lead to smiling, but smiling can also lead to yeah. happiness. Yeah. I almost like fell off my chair when he told me that. And it's funny because I'm you know, a lot of like this momentum towards my book, you know, I was like doing a lot of podcasts and whatever and smiling a lot because I'm on and on camera. And I was like, oh, I bet this is like helping me. You've probably heard me talk about how much I love seed on this podcast a million times. And you have definitely heard me talk about the importance of our microbiome with a ton of our expert guests. I think it's so important to underscore that supporting our microbiomes and taking Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic isn't just for gut health issues. While it definitely helps with issues like bloating and constipation, it's really about supporting your microbiome as a whole. Your entire body is impacted by your microbiome, especially when it comes to fighting illnesses like viral infections and even chronic diseases. And more and more research has come out about the gut-brain connection, which shows that an unbalanced microbiome can slow the production of neurotransmitters and affect many areas of brain function. I think it really helps to view Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic less as something that you take for your gut and more as a multivitamin to support your microbiome, which supports your whole body health. I've worked with Seed for years now, and it's a company whose mission and products are truly top-notch. They are so focused on education and pushing the field of microbiome research forward, and they took all of that research and all of that knowledge and distilled it into their flagship product, the DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. The DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is not just a probiotic. It's a symbiotic, which means it contains both probiotics and prebiotics. The combination is so important. While probiotics are the live beneficial bacteria, prebiotics are actually the food the probiotics need to thrive. Without the prebiotic component, the probiotics that you might be taking, like many of the ones that you can easily pick up at a drugstore, will be undernourished and far less effective. The DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic includes the 24 bacterial strains that are scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. If you want to learn more about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in really digestible, see what we did there, digestible, yeah, in really digestible ways. 
Taking seed has been a huge part of my personal anxiety journey, and I get DMs from you guys truly on a daily basis about how it's helped with your mental health, your migraines, your chronic bloat, and more. And now they have a PDS08 pediatric daily symbiotic so kids and teens can experience all of the amazing benefits too. And as if you needed another reason to love seed, their packaging is not only beautiful but sustainable. You can refill the little green glass bottle every month with the pills shipped right to your door in compostable packaging rather than using single-use plastic bottles. If you'd like to try Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic or their PDSO-8 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic for kids and teens aged 3 to 17 and see for yourself why I and so many other people in the Liz Moody podcast community love it, I have an amazing discount for you. You can use code LizMoody at Seed.com to get 25% off your first month's supply. Again, that's LizMoody at Seed.com for 25% off. If you ever get motion sickness or nausea from anything, I am about to change your life. I've gotten to personally test Relief Band for over a year now, and I literally keep one in my car so all of my car sick friends can wear it. And I've gotten to hear from thousands of you who've already bought it, and the reaction is always the same. I cannot believe how well this works. Like everyone is always skeptical, and then they try it, and they are flabbergasted. Relief Band is the number one anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and much more. The technology behind how it works is fascinating. It stimulates a nerve in your wrist that travels to the part of your brain that controls nausea. It then blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you you're sick. It's 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and has zero side effects because of how simply it works. The best thing about wearing your relief band is that it not only treats nausea, it also prevents it from even happening in the first place if you put it on before you travel. I've even found that it works for the nausea that often accompanies my anxiety, which helps with the misattribution that can increase anxiety, and it's just so helpful in so many areas of my life. I absolutely love that you're not ingesting anything, and Relief Band also has an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating and over 100,000 satisfied customers. I saw one reviewer who said that she went through Drake's Passage, which is famously the most turbulent water in the world, and she experienced zero nausea despite normally getting seasick. And usually I'd be like, that is full BS, but having seen Relief Band work time and time again, I'm like, yep, that makes sense. I have the Premier one, which I like because it looks really sleek, but all of the options are good, so buy the one that suits your needs. And they all last a really long time, too. Remember, you don't have to overplan for nausea relief or dose up to six hours before a trip. Just bring your relief band and you are good to go. Right now, we've got an exclusive offer just for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Liz Moody, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Liz Moody for 20% off plus free shipping. Okay, I have one more kind of big question and then we'll do a little bit of a quick fire. The big question is, we have this idea of when I do this, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. When I make a lot of money, when I find a lot of success, when I have the big house, when I have the kids, when I have the relationships, I'll finally be happy. Yeah. And you're a person who has experienced pretty much every outside benchmark of success of the when I get this, I'll be happy of anybody that I know. So I'm curious, of all of those things, 
Did any of them make you happy? And what have you learned about happiness for all of us out there who are still looking at all of those boxes? Well, it's not a simple answer because there is a lot of gratitude in the fact that I have the ability to source out all these things and pay for these things. And so I'm deeply grateful for that. But the money and the things and the house and the car, and no, that is not what has made me happy. It's fun and it's happy for a minute. I'm grateful that I have like a nice house and that I have a nice life and that I have access to things and I can buy most things that I want. And I really enjoy that about my life. But then yet I went through like one of the deepest depressions of my life six months ago and I had all that stuff. And it's funny when there's people who will say to you, but you have all these things. Why are you so sad? You have this beautiful life and this beautiful house and these amazing children and blah, blah, blah. And all that is true. It didn't take away the sadness that I was feeling just because you read me the laundry list of things that I've accumulated in my life. The inner part, if the inner work is and the inner happiness isn't there, because what I discovered about myself was that I wasn't exactly who I wanted to be in my life. And I needed to, like we've talked about, like do some really like deep soul work. All of those material things were not what was bringing me happiness. But ultimately, it's like a both and. I don't think getting to this level of success of notoriety and money and all that stuff in both of my marriages and even my business, I was constantly seeking something else to find this happiness inside. And I thought it was largely shopping and having on paper this marriage and this things, but I wasn't happy until I like realized what I actually needed and the tools that I needed as a human to be better in relationships so I could have that happy relationship that I wanted. Has it freed you from the when I get this, I'll be happy narrative at all? Yes. I don't believe in that narrative anymore. I used to. I used to believe like, oh, when I get that big house and when I get the the thing, I'll be happier. I do not subscribe to that anymore. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore in that way. I do enjoy certain things in life, but it's not the end all be all for me anymore. I can't tell you how much a part of me, not all of me, but a part of me wants to go live in a farm and be off the grid and not think about like money and the things. I want to have old boots that I wear every day and the same pair of jeans. There is a side of me that really longs for that life that has nothing to do with success and money and notoriety and all that stuff. I'm curious though if seeing it play out, like happiness wasn't brought to me by these things and all these other parts of my life, does that even carry over to when you're in a relationship? Like it gets rid of any one thing being the be-all, end-all to your happiness? I think so. Yeah, I don't think there's one thing. I've come to realize that, this is going to sound really cheesy, but like all that matters is love and the love that you give and the love that you get. And I really have found wanting to be of service and I'm positioning my life towards that right now. Yesterday I was at a book signing and I met the CEO of Make-A-Wish Foundation and I was like, you're the CEO of, can I set up some time to talk to you? That's what I want to do with my time now. To me, like being of service is a part of like love. Other people who are less fortunate need help that I can, as a human in the world, provide. I'm in this like interesting place in my life of trying to figure out this purpose. I've been saying this recently because I feel like I'm almost like where I was in my 20s when I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I'm kind of in that point where I'm like, now I'm in my almost 50s trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But through a very different lens of I have achieved some success and now I want to use my success to do 
for others. But on the other hand, I still want to keep making money so I can give it back to other people. So yeah, everything's changed. What my life looks like has changed so much. There's stats around how much more female entrepreneurs give away than male entrepreneurs. And it's wild. The numbers are crazy. I like living a certain life, but I can't tell you how much I like to give away money. (laughs) Truly. My financial advisors are like, you know, chill out a little. I mean, and some of that has come in the way of investments. I've invested in several friends' businesses because I just want to support them. Whether it's like a good investment or not, I don't really care. I just want to give them my money to give them my support. But I also love what you said about feeling like you were in the same place that you're in in your 20s. Because I do think that there's this narrative, especially online these days, that like once you're 30, your life is over. Once you're 40, your life is over. I know. And you're such a just beautiful example of like your life is never over. You can always start again, whether it's dating, whether it's your entrepreneurial success, whether it's your mindset, whether it's the way you view yourself. And I just think that's such an important message to internalize. I so believe that. But I think I used to be in that other school of thought and certainly coming out of selling this company that was my identity and then going through divorces. It's like, this was not the plan. Like, what happened? Why am I over here? I was supposed to be over there, you know, and then realizing like, oh, there's fruit everywhere. You can have a great life no matter where you are, who you are, or what age you are. And that goes back to like building the faith and resilience in yourself and your traits and your ability to thrive no matter what, rather than having any of that built on outside things. A hundred percent. Okay. Let's do a little quick fire. I would love one very grounded, not mindset, but like a very action-based tip for building a successful business that we haven't heard a zillion times before. A very action-based tip for building a successful business. It's hard. I think all of the things that you've probably heard are because they're true. But I think the best thing I can give you that maybe isn't something that somebody else has said is leading with kindness. My leadership style has changed so much over the course of the last 10 years. And now I lead from a much softer place. Before I was like, I'm the boss and I have to have all the answers and be a little bit of a hard ass. Whereas now I'm like, you know, let's enjoy ourselves and have fun with this. And I can feel it come up for me when I'm like annoyed at a situation and I want to be a bitch about it because I'm like, why the fuck didn't you do this? And this is your responsibility. And this is part of your job. Why are you not doing this? And then just being like, let's just talk about it. Let's make sure next time, blah, blah, blah. I can flex that power if I want to. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I want to lead from kindness. It's not all that important at the end of the day. We've talked a lot about being your most authentic self. Can you give us one tip for knowing who your most authentic self is? A practice, a tool? It's like about getting quiet. I try to like take breaks from my phone as much as I can and Sometimes if I'm going somewhere, I'm like, I'm just not going to take my phone right now. And that's usually when like, the best ideas come out. So I think to answer your question, if you get really quiet with yourself, which means you're not staring at your phone and you're in a meditation or just a walk, what's really there? And I don't think any of us stop enough to be like, how am I really feeling about this? Closing your eyes and getting really quiet and like, how do I feel? How do I feel about this situation? It, your body will tell you, I believe. That's how we stay most authentic is remembering to stop and really evaluate what's going on for us. One tip for overcoming imposter syndrome. 
I mean, I think imposter syndrome is a great thing. People think of imposter syndrome, maybe because it's the word syndrome, like it's a negative thing. I think it's a fucking great thing. It means that you're stepping into a role that you've never stepped into and you're embracing and embarking on something new and exciting. Just because you haven't been there ever before doesn't mean you can't be there now. The amount of times I've been an imposter, it's a big list of like, I was not technically qualified to be running this massive company. Who says I was qualified to be a mom? Like none of those things I had ever done before, but you step into them and you learn and you grow and you ask questions and you educate yourself and, and then you're not an imposter anymore. You're just a person who is figuring it out. One tip for building the types of relationships that will be helpful in your career. I think it goes back to being authentic. Show people who you really are so that you end up surrounded by people who know who you really are, not this like version of you that you want everybody to see and know. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. And if this doesn't jive with you, cool, but this is me versus what I've been guilty of too is showing this certain version of myself that's just not real or authentic. You know? How are we meeting these people though? I know you said in the book, like, don't say no to these event invitations. You never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. But let's say you're not getting a bunch of event invitations. Are you cold emailing? How are you making these connections in the first place? Go to things that you can go to, things that you don't have to be invited to. We're all on social media. I've been seeing on your account that you're hosting all these book events and people can come to a book event and spend $30 on a ticket and come to your book event and be around like-minded entrepreneurs. Do that. Go to places like that because you will meet people. And to your point about how do you meet those particular people, when you're in a conversation with somebody, be your most authentic self. Drop a bomb about something in your life that people might be a little shocked about because then they'll be like, oh my God, I'm actually going through that too. It's shocking how many people are going through shit that you would not expect. If you actually talk about the real stuff that's going on in your life, there will be people who are like, okay, I'm going to go get a drink. I don't want to go that deep. Cool. But then there's going to be the girl who's like, you know what? I'm going through that too. Let's talk about it. And boom, you have an authentic connection with another human. And you just keep building those and keep going to the events that you can go to. And then you'll start getting invited to other ones. That's great advice. Let's end on one tip for embracing aging, the passage of time, and not feeling like all of our best years are behind us and we can't pivot, we can't start over, we can't do new things. I think I'm a living example of that because I feel physically better than I've ever felt. I was saying I've learned now what to not eat that doesn't make me feel good physically and emotionally, which is a big deal. We've talked about that and I know that's true for you too. And so that's a big thing. I'm 48, who physically look, even like my sweet assistant, who's this beautiful 20-something-year-old, we've been looking through some old footage of Dry Bar as we were like getting some stuff ready. And she's like, I feel like you look better now than you did then. And I'm like, really? And I'd never think about that. But I was like, oh, I take care of myself a lot better now than I did then. I eat better now. I work out more now. I walk constantly. I feed my soul. I can only speak to myself and my experiences, but I think that I'm better version of myself in all the ways now than I was in my 20s. We're pretty wise on this side of our life. Does that make you excited for the future? Yeah. I'm so excited. I feel like I have so many cool opportunities ahead of me now. You know, it's part of why I'm happier than I've ever been, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit in your own words about your beautiful book? Yeah. It's kind of a peek behind the curtain of building a business. And it's really like every lesson good and bad that I could remember for my journey of building this crazy business and being someone that didn't go to college and doesn't have a traditional business background that had to learn it as I went. 
I poured my heart and soul into this in every conceivable way and really tried to remember every lesson and even like went to my brother and was like, can you help me like fill in the blanks on things that maybe I don't remember about this so I can put them in the book? And then for the entrepreneur out there, it's this great business guide of what worked and what didn't and what mistakes I made that you can avoid for sure. And then it's the undercurrent of my life and all the emotional drama that was going on and how I navigated it all. And it's like a business book and a memoir had a baby. It's like the combination of the two. So you're going to get a lot of great business takeaways and advice, but you're also going to like hear about how I survived some of the darkest days. To me, it's a guidebook for how being your most authentic self is your greatest asset, not a detriment to you at all. And I absolutely loved it. And I absolutely love this conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I loved it too. Allie's message about connecting with your authenticity being the key to unlocking your happiness is so crucial. It's easy to lose track of our needs, our goals, our individual desires in this world where we're bombarded with so many messages, so many other people's needs and goals and wants for our lives. And doing the work to find yourself and live for yourself again is so important. If you connected with what she said in any way, share this episode with your friends because they probably will too. And if someone shared a link with you and you are new to the podcast, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. Make sure that you're following on whatever platform that you like to listen on. All you have to do is go to the main podcast page. That's the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes, and you will see the word follow under the logo on Spotify, and then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. This way, you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will show up right in your feed every single Wednesday. And you do not want to miss out because we have some very exciting ones coming up, including an episode all about how to identify and heal from narcissists in your life with the world's leading expert on narcissism, and another one about why so many young people are getting cancer and exactly what we can do about it. I promise this episode is not scary at all. It is very empowering, and you definitely do not want to miss it. And do not forget to go to 100waystochangeyourlife.com to snag a copy of my brand new book, The Perfect Holiday Gift for Any and Everyone in Your Life. Okay, I love you and I will see you next Wednesday for the next episode of the Liz Moody Podcast. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balance meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, or superfoods and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. 
AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out. 